Just like a great athlete or a performer who dominates because they have no glaring weaknesses in any aspect of their game, we will only find a complete life when we learn how to thrive in all three states of relationship. You've got to be a triple threat. So I want to welcome you again to our church, to our series, Triple Threat. We're talking about the three states of being that we all need to learn how to exist in, regardless of our relationship status. Um, and so week one was about learning how to live in solitude, really how to, how to exist on your own, which is probably the one that's hardest for me of all of these. It's something I've been working on. Uh, week two was about how to, how to live in pursuit of others. And this week, I have the privilege of talking to you about intimacy. Lucky me. (laughs) Now, there are a couple of problems immediately the the moment a pastor in church says the word intimacy. Uh, There are problems with intimacy that I want to just address head on, and neither one of them have anything to do with little blue pills, just to make you aware. The first is this, what do we mean when we say it? And the second one is, how do we know when we have it? I want to talk about that first one first. This term itself, intimacy, it's kind of a confusing term. What do we mean when we say it? Now, in our culture today, pretty much exclusively, when we say the word intimacy, we're referring to a specific kind of intimacy. We're talking about physical or sexual intimacy. That's almost exclusively what we mean when we say the word. Case in point, The Bachelor, season 27 million, I think. (laughs) We're on by now. Um, I I know, I don't watch it either. Um, Even if you don't though, uh, Peter and Madison, there's big headlines, you know, buzz going on about what's gonna happen this week. Madison's one of the final three uh, women in the show. And um, and this week we know that Madison is gonna give Peter an ultimatum, that if he is intimate with any of the other contestants on their fantasy dates this week, that that will be a a deal breaker for her and that she's gonna go home. And of course we know that when she says, if you're intimate, what, what she's referring to, she's talking about sexual intimacy. She's, she's talking about a sexual act. Um, I would argue, <laughs> and I think a lot of us could, that just going on a date to a fantasy place overnight with someone else, regardless of what you do, is is kind of an intimate experience anyway. But in our culture, almost exclusively, when we talk about intimacy, we, we mean sex. Which is why, again, when it's talked about in church, we squirm or maybe don't even show up. Um, it's why when, when you say, hey, intimacy is for single people or it's for married people, not just in their marriage, but married people can have intimacy with others outside of marriage. Or if you say to, to straight men, hey, there's a possibility for you to have intimacy in your male relationships, that's why we squirm, right? Especially guys, we squirm about this stuff. Because for us, intimacy has come to mean one thing. But today as we talk about this, um, I'm kind of removing that one thing from consideration. We're not talking primarily about sexual connection with others. That's not what we mean when we say intimacy. Intimacy does not equal sex. And, And often you can have sex without intimacy, and intimacy certainly you can have without sex. So uh, that's not what we mean when we say intimacy. We'll unpack that later. But that raises the second question, how do we know if we have it then? 
I mean, it's pretty easy if the definition of intimacy is, have I had a, a certain kind of physical encounter with another person? Well, well, then I know if we're intimate. Or if intimacy is just about my relationship status, you know, if I can say, well, I've been married 20 years or 40 or 60 years, well then, yeah, surely I have intimacy. I've been married that long. If that doesn't count, if it's not about a, just a physical act with someone else, how do we know if we even have it? How do we measure it? What does it actually mean that we have intimacy with others? I think these are the problems that face us as we talk about this today. And, and there's one other thing before we dive into this topic that I just want to disclose to you. I think I'm both the best person in all of the world to talk about this topic and the worst. And here's why. Uh, I, I would say best because from the time I was little, from ever since I could rem- can, can remember, I have felt a desire, a craving for closeness with people, a desire for intimacy with others. I, I just feel like I'm built for it. And so ever since I could remember, I've hated small talk. Anybody else? I mean, just can't stand small talk. You know, I'm just like, ah, I want to get to the stuff that's kind of deep and vulnerable and uncomfortable. I love those kinds of conversations. That's where I come alive. And so that means ever since I can remember, I was never one to be found in the big group at a a social function, just kind of hanging out with everybody. I was more likely to be off in the corner talking to another person because that was the opportunity to go deeper. And I I was confused about that for a while. I was like, am I an introvert or an extrovert? What does that mean? And, And I realized it's not about either thing. It's really just about my desire for depth, connection, intimacy. From the time I can remember, I dreamed of having a tight-knit family, of of having a wife and children who would adore me. Still dreaming. Kidding, my wife and kids, they adore me, no question. Um, From the time, earliest days, I, I just remember having a longing for a best friend. And the first time I remember hearing Genesis chapter two, I remember something resonating inside of me, just even being very, very young. Now, if you don't know what Genesis two is about, it's a chapter that's about our origins. It's about our, our creation story. It's about how we as people were created. And you can learn so much about yourself just by studying Genesis chapter two. I love Genesis chapter two, but I especially love Genesis chapter two, verse 25. Now, let me just say before I share it with you that lots of engaged couples choose to use Genesis 2 in their, in their wedding ceremonies, but most of them stop short before verse 25, as you'll see why for a minute. And ironically, I think it's the most important verse, but Genesis 2, the part that wedding couples, uh, married couple, pre-married couples, engaged couples like to use in their wedding services, there I said it, uh, they... Uh, The part that they like to use is this part where it talks about how God opens up Adam, takes a rib, creates Eve, brings Eve back to Adam. Adam looks at her and says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman for she was taken out of man. And then it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And I've had... Tons of weddings where couples have used that verse or those verses and then I can count probably on one hand the number of couples who, who actually include the next verse, I think the most important verse, which is this, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And you can see why, right? No, 
married, getting married couple wants everyone to think about them naked on their wedding day, especially when you spend all the money on the dress, right? And you're like, pay attention to the dress here. Um, and yet Genesis 2.25, the reason I think this is so important is because it points to this deep longing that I know lives in all of us. Whether you're in touch with it or not, it lives there. And that is the desire to stand in front of another person exposed. Without your job titles, without um, you know, hiding behind your family name, without uh, your neighborhood, your, your house, your, the car that you drive, the, the brand of clothes that you wear, without your armor, you know, the armor that we carry into life to protect ourselves, Genesis 2.25 talks about this deep desire that we all have to stand exposed in front of another person as we are naked and to not experience a hint of rejection or, or laughter or ridicule or disgust. In other words, no shame. It lives inside, this desire lives inside of all of us, which is why most of us in this room at some point in life have had a dream like this. We have had a dream where we were in, at work or we're in school or maybe we're giving a presentation all of a sudden we look down and we realize what? We realize we're naked. Anyone have those dreams? Or at least in your underwear? Come on. Sometime in your life you've had that dream. Horrifying dream, right? Who, yeah, terrible. That dream represents a fear which is really all about this deep desire that we have. Because few of us believe that if we could be seen as we really are, it's a metaphor, right? That's, that's what dreams are, they're symbolic. Few of us believe that if, if we were seen as we really are, few of us believe that we would be loved and accepted. So whether you're like me, and this is something that you are aware of, this desire in you to have this kind of connection with people, or, um, which is why I think I'm one of the best people to talk about. I've, I've spent my life pursuing this. But I will say that I think I'm also one of the worst people because if, if you're not in touch with this, then I realize that I don't, I don't fully know where to begin with you. This has been something that I've just been so aware of my whole life for whatever reason. It occurred to me this week that I don't, I don't know what to say. If, if you just look at this and you go, yeah, but that's not for me, or I hear you, Dion. I, I understand that some people need that, but I don't. I'm not really sure what to say to you. But I'll try this. God says that all of us were created, we, we're made for intimacy. See it in Genesis 2.25, but you also see it in Genesis 2.18. Uh, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone, right? It's, it's good to know how to be alone because <laughs> there are moments where we need to be able to sit with ourselves. That's an important thing, but it's not good for us to exist forever alone. So God says, I will make a helper, helper suitable for him. And, and really this means a compliment, someone with whom he can have intimacy and connection, a deep connection. See, this is part of our human story. We are all made for intimacy, not only that, but also according to the scriptures, you are commanded by God to pursue intimacy. Way later in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says this, I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. 
Now, what Paul is not saying here is that we all need to have the same opinions about everything. He's not saying that we can't think different thoughts or vote for different candidates. I mean, there's enough of that in the world, right? You know, if you don't think like I do, I can't have any association with you. That's not what Paul's saying. He's talking about something deeper. You can have differences of opinion, but Paul says, but, but understand that you, you're united, have intimacy, pursue intimacy with one another that is beyond the superficial things. See, the Bible says that all of us are made for it, that all of us are commanded to pursue it, and not only that, but intimacy, whoever, no matter who you are, intimacy is your destiny. Later on in the same letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, also another great wedding verse, Paul says this, for now, in the here and now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see, he's talking about our destiny here. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul says that our destiny, every one of us, our destiny is to be seen, also to see, but to be known fully, which is a definition, I think one of the best definitions of intimacy. In fact, one of the definitions that I I carry around with me is that intimacy uh, means this, it means into me see. It's kind of like the Christian camp trick, right? You take a word, you break it apart into syllables and suddenly it sounds native or something. Intimacy, into me see, that, that another person can see into the depths of who you are. And this is important, instead of backing away, instead of saying, whoa, I wish I hadn't seen that, they love you and accept you. See, the scriptures say that all of us, all of us, whether you're in touch with it or not, are made for intimacy. We are called to pursue intimacy with others. We're actually commanded to do it. And intimacy is our destiny. So if you're not comfortable with intimacy, I hate to tell you, it's your destiny. So you better get comfortable with it. This is really, really important stuff. But it doesn't mean intimacy is easy, does it? As Doug Moss said in week one when he was talking about solitude, he he shared a quote from Blaise Pascal. And he said, uh, this quote from Pascal said, "Um, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Do you remember that? Um, All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. I know there were some who disagreed with that quote, and if you disagree with it, I want to debate you after the service, because I think it's so true, because I've tried to sit quietly in a room alone, and, and our, man, it's, it's hard to do, and I think that's where a lot of our problems come from. But if that's true, I would say that our next biggest source of problems is our inability to sit quietly in a room, face-to-face with another human being, without a magazine, newspaper, or our phones, This idea of seeing and being fully seen, knowing and being fully known, it's terrifying. So how do you do it? Even if you read Genesis 2.25 and you say, that sounds good to me, how do you actually connect with it? How do you find it? Well, for me in my life, um, it's been and it feels a a lot like this. Uh... Finding intimacy with someone is kind of like peeling an onion. See, when we start a connection with someone, we talked about pursuing people last week, we, we usually start off with the pretty superficial stuff. We talk about what we do, where we work, where we're from, 
where we went to high school here in St. Louis. We start with a bunch of trivial stuff that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but what we're doing as, as we just start to peel back that first layer is we're trying to gauge the other person's reaction. As, as we peel back these layers, how are they responding? Are they, are they interested or are they not interested? Do they seem trustworthy or empathetic or, um, oh, that was deep, uh, trustworthy or empathetic or... Um, are, are they someone who's just disinterested and not trustworthy? And then if we find someone who seems to be trustworthy, we go a layer deeper, and I'm not going to do that because I don't want my hands smelling like onion for the next week. You know how that is, right? Um, but that's the thing about intimacy. It's, it's like peeling an onion, and, and so it's uncomfortable. It's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit uh, it can bring you to tears sometimes, right? It's, it's a little bit awkward at times. But, but so the next layer is, is to begin to share with someone something that's of emotional significance to you. Like, like hey... Have I ever told you what happened to me in third grade? Or here's a little known fact about the way that I grew up. Or have I ever told you what I'm most afraid about in all of life? We begin to peel back deeper layers of emotional significance. Can, can I share with you something that's going on in my life right now that's really, really hard? And, and our deep hope as we go to those deeper layers is that the, the person might stay attentive and empathetic, that they might be trustworthy, that they might not wince or pull back, but they might receive what we're sharing. And in fact, a really good sign, what we're ultimately hoping for is that they don't just receive our peeling back our layers, but we really hope that they start to peel back their layers too, Right? But you see, the whole process is fraught with risk. And there's no guarantee that when you start peeling back the layers, the other person is going to receive it well. And, and really, you can't wait for the other person to go first if you want a life of intimacy. You have to be willing often to go first, and that's what makes it so scary. But again, the hope is that as you start to peel back these layers and things start to get uncomfortable... The hope is that the other person will look at you a little more fully, knowing you a little better, and they'll embrace what they see, right? And, and when that happens, when that happens, even though it's scary, it is so powerful, isn't it? Uh, I think back to when Jocelyn and I were dating. There's Jocelyn, wave. J Jocelyn, wave. You don't have to wave at her, Jocelyn, wave at them. Yeah, there she is. Um, I think back to when Jocelyn and I were dating. We started dating in college. And dating someone in college when you're living on campus is, is really nice because it's pretty easy to just kind of be whoever you want to be, right? You all live in the same spaces. We had these in our, our uh, college, they issued all your furniture to you, you know, so you had your furniture, you had your space, you maybe had a few different posters or whatever on your wall, but our rooms were the same. And so uh, you could kind of just be whoever. It was all this neutral stuff. And, and so that's how we got to first know each other. And then um, we went into a summer break where we went home to our, our uh, family homes over the summer. And over that summer, I went to Jocelyn's parents' house a few times. And I got to see her in her element with her family. Um, but I, I was really reluctant that whole summer to have her come to my family's house. And that's because going to Jocelyn's house, I, I was, it was confirmed what I already knew about her or thought I knew about her, that her family was, was 
did pretty well. Her dad did pretty well. They were kind of upper middle class. They had a nice home. It was really comfortable. Um, things were orderly. Things were, you know, it was, it was nice. It was nice to be there. And my house was kind of different. Um, it was pretty clear from our house that my parents didn't have a lot of money. Um, my dad is a carpenter, which means that there was always some project going on in the house that was like stretching on over eras that was never complete. I mean, our house was never done. It was always torn apart in some way um, as, as, uh, as anyone who is a carpenter's child might have experienced. Um, we, we had this, we lived out in the country and we had this well water, only water we could, could have, but we had this well water and it, it smelled funny and I just remember feeling embarrassed about all of that. And, uh, and, and so that whole summer, I just kind of put off ever having Jocelyn to my parents' house. And then the end of summer was coming and it just was getting to the point where it was like, this is going on too long. And, and so finally I had to have her over. And I remember that whole day, that whole night while she was there, just being hyper vigilant because I was feeling pretty exposed. And I remember just watching for any sign of, of um, discomfort, um, like, oh, surprise, shock, any sign of, of disgust, any sign of, I didn't, I didn't realize this is where this guy was from. Now, that was a hugely vulnerable moment in our relationship. Uh, but that whole night, Jocelyn never, whether she felt it or not, never gave me any cues that she was surprised or shocked or uncomfortable by anything she saw or heard. And as a result of that, as a result of this really scary thing for me at that time in our relationship, I left that night feeling more seen and known. That, that was what I was afraid of, that I would be seen and known and rejected, but I came away feeling more seen and known and accepted. And as a result, I didn't just feel neutral about her. I felt closer to her because that's what happens when you feel more fully seen and known and the other person doesn't move away, but, but they accept you. And, and that's how intimacy works. We, we just go deeper and deeper until eventually you get to the core of things and, and you're Genesis 2.25 and you're standing there completely exposed. Or I think what often happens, us, happens to us in the, in the course of pursuing intimacy is, is that we peel back the layers, we peel back the layers until our fear overwhelms us and we get to some spot where we go, I'm not sure I can go there. Because I don't think there's any way that if I show this person this part of me, this part of my story, I'm pretty sure that they're not gonna be able to receive that. Or we have an experience where we're, we're bravely peeling back the layers and we see that look in the other person's eye. You know the look. The look that says, I, I wish you hadn't just shared that with me. Right? The look that says, I wish I hadn't just seen that. Gosh, is there anything more painful in all the world than that look? And that's the moment where a lot of us say, you know what? I'm done. I'm good right here where I am. I'm never going to go that deep again. And so we may get married and have a spouse. We may claim to have a best friend. But we at that moment decide, you know what? I'm never going to risk being fully seen or known. Because it's too scary. It's, it's, it's too painful. 
Now, here's what I want to say. If you've ever experienced a moment like that in your life, and I I believe we all have on some level, then here's what I want to share with you. I want to share with you one of the things that I love most about the picture of Jesus that we get through the Gospels. Because if you read the Gospels, and if, if reading the gospel seems like it's overwhelming for you, we did a whole series called Shook back in the fall where, where we, we talked through the gospel. So go watch that series. Here's what Jesus demonstrates again and again. He demonstrated that he could look full on into the lives of people, people who had messy things in their lives, difficult things in their lives, skeletons in their closet. He could look full on at the reality of people's lives and not be scared away. There was a woman who had a, a medical issue that, that was a bleeding issue that made her religiously impure and socially outcast. And one day she sneaks up to Jesus in a crowd. She thinks, if I can just touch his robe, then maybe I'll be healed from this thing. And Jesus feels her touch his robe and he turns around and he looks at her. And, and here's this woman so afraid of being seen and known for what, what's going on in her life, being judged and rejected. And Jesus looks at her and he says, daughter. He calls her daughter. And then there's this other guy who has leprosy and he comes up to Jesus one day and he says, he says, Lord, master, you know, head, head bowed. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And this is a guy who is used to people recoiling, not looking at him, looking at him with disgust. And Jesus says to him, not only looks at him, but Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. And he says, hey, I'm willing, be clean. Or there's another woman who Jesus meets at a well outside of a town and and she's a woman with a reputation, not the good kind. And Jesus starts a conversation with her and the reason she's at the well in the heat of the day is because she's avoiding everyone in the town because everyone knows her story. And Jesus, instead, he engages her in conversation and he begins to reveal to her and invite her into the kingdom of God. Knowing everything that she had ever done, Jesus sees that and invites her into the kingdom of God anyway. Or, or I think about another moment with this, uh, this, this gangster named Zacchaeus He's a guy that no one in town liked, and so he's, uh, Jesus comes through, and no one will even, he can't even stand next to the people. They hate him so much, so he kind of climbs up in this bush, this tree, and, and Jesus makes a beeline for the most hated guy in town. And he's not deceived. He knows Zacchaeus. He knows what he's all about. He knows the crimes he's committed. And Jesus calls him friend. See, today I just want you to know that it is possible It is possible for you to stand completely exposed, seen, known as you are and not to be met with disdain or rejection, ridicule, laughter, disgust, in other words, shame. It's possible for you to stand as you are fully exposed, seen and known as you are good and bad, beautiful and ugly, to to have someone see it all and to be loved and accepted anyway. Not only is it possible, that's what Jesus has done, not just for those people I told you about, but that's what he's done for you. See, nothing is hidden from him. You can hide from other people in your life. Nothing is hidden from him. He sees it all. You don't even have to confess it. He knows it. 
He sees you as you are, completely naked, exposed, all of it. And yet he came into the world to preach a message of love and acceptance, to prove that he is a God of love and acceptance by offering his life for you on a cross. It's not just possible, it has happened. It's available for you in Jesus. But here's what's critical. Even though intimacy with God is the ultimate, that doesn't mean we're off the hook from pursuing intimacy with other people. See, intimacy with other people still remains a very, very important thing for us to pursue for a few reasons. I just want to close with this. When you cultivate intimacy with others, and only when you do this, here's what happens. First, you tap into creative power. Now, now we see this in um, physically or sexually intimate relationships that a man and a woman can come together and they can not just give birth to a child, but some of you, some of you, you've seen two, anyone two generations after you? Got two generations that you've seen of your own family tree, three generations? I mean, right, there are some of you, you've had family reunions and you look around and you're like, none of these people existed. We, we, we made this, we, we created this, we know there's a creative power to intimacy, but, but even beyond that kind of intimacy, We know this to be true in life. There are all kinds of power duos who, not through any kind of romantic relationship, but but people, business partners who've known each other, who, who knew each other so well that together, the synergy, right? It's synergy. They were able to create amazing things. You think about the Wright brothers, or you think about Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, or, or you think about any number of people. You think about um, Simon and Garfunkel, or, or I love seeing the movie Rocketman, Elton John and Bernie Taupin, like just hearing about their relationship and their connection and, and how powerful that was, the, the beautiful songs that have been brought into the world. You see, when you cultivate intimacy with others, you tap into creative power. And I think a lot about the World War II generation, I think about World War II vets, how our soldiers in World War II were able to do something that seemed impossible at the time, right? I mean, the world was being taken over and these young men from nowhere all across America gathered together and and, and they fought and they won. And here, here's what I found also fascinating about World War II vets, that if you talk to many of them, maybe some of you are, or if you've talked to World War II vets, here's, here's the hunch that I've always had. That for many of those men, the intimacy they experienced with their fellow soldiers was the deepest intimacy they ever had in their entire lives. Up to that point and even beyond that point. And I have a hunch that it was that intimacy that was to credit for the power the synergy that enabled them to conquer evil and to keep the world a free place. See, there's something that happens when you allow yourself to be seen and known by another person. You exist in this intimate place with another human being. There's creative power that's unleashed there. Second, and and this is uh, maybe a little philosophical, but I think it's so important. When you cultivate intimacy with others, you connect to the very nature and being of God. See, God is an intimate God. Not just with us, but within himself. We talk about this thing called the Trinity, and I don't know what God calls it, it's just who he is, but that God exists in himself. He's a father, he's a son, and a spirit. And Jesus says how this works. He says, I know the father, and the father knows me, and I am in the father, and the father is me, and I love the father, and the father loves the son, and the spirit gets looped in there too later on. And so what that means is whenever we cultivate intimacy with another person, when we have those momentary glimpses of being seen and known, loved and appreciated for who we are, 
in those moments, the reason those are so powerful is that we are actually connecting to the very nature of God. We're getting a glimpse of what God has within himself always. And then finally, when you cultivate intimacy with others, with others, that's when you find real self-acceptance. Now, of course, God's acceptance of us matters more than anything. But I think it's almost impossible to believe in a God who can accept you fully if you've never glimpsed or experienced acceptance from another human being. Like, how do you even know what that's like if you've never, ever experienced it? And the Bible teaches us that, that we as people, we are mediators of God's work. It comes through us. We're the body of Christ even. And so until you've experienced this with another person, this acceptance, and then ultimately can believe in a God who does it perfectly because people don't do it perfectly, it's only in that moment with people then with God that you can begin to live with self-acceptance. Now, I know for some of you, self-acceptance sounds trite. It sounds like psychobabble. I would argue that self-acceptance is, is one of the greatest spiritual works that you can devote yourself to. And here's why. Because in Christianity, we talk about this thing called grace. And what is grace other than, than knowing that I am loved apart from what I do? I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to earn anything. I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to bend over backwards to make amends for anything. I'm simply loved because God has declared me to be lovable because that's who he is. But I can't believe that until I've experienced that in another human relationship. See, no matter who you are, no matter who you are, whether you felt it deeply in your life like I have my whole life, you're made for intimacy. And you are destined for intimacy. And not only that, you are commanded to pursue intimacy because it's going to make your life so much richer. So I want to ask you today, what relationship in your life is crying out for the chance to go deeper? What relationship in your life is begging for the opportunity to go deeper, to, to peel back the layers? Now, if you're married, maybe for you, it's, it's your marriage, right? Just, just because you're married a long time doesn't mean that it's truly a, a relationship of depth where you can be seen or known. That might be a great place for you to start. I think it'd be great in our culture if we stopped just celebrating the longevity of a relationship, but we also started celebrating the health and the depth. So maybe that's a place for you, or maybe you're in a place, even if you're married, where, where your partner isn't there yet, and your partner isn't safe. And that's okay. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're in a bad marriage or you married the wrong person. We put a lot of weight on our marriages, sometimes too much. So, so what other relationship in your life, what other friendship in your life is crying out for the opportunity to go deeper, to, to begin to peel back the layers, to, to be seen and known, to see and know? What relationship is that for you? And if you have in mind what that relationship might be, I want to ask you also, what layer can you peel back to begin to allow yourself to be seen and known more fully? And I think for some of us, there, there is a layer, you know exactly what I'm talking about, there, there is a layer that we have, we have kept so intact because we're afraid of letting anyone see what lies behind it. 
what would it look like in a relationship that, that hopefully is safe with a person who's proved themselves to be trustworthy? What would it look like if you took a risk and you peeled back that layer? How good would it feel to be seen and known more fully? And I know it's a risk and, and there are no guarantees and that's what makes intimacy scary and that's why so many of us stop short and we live with shallow relationships. But here's what I wanna do. If, if you need some encouragement, I want you to take in the words of the song that you're about to hear. It's a song based, really kind of a paraphrase off Psalm 139 and that's a psalm where God tells us that no matter where we are, at the, at the heights soaring on the wings of eagles or down in the deepest valleys, he sees us, that we cannot escape his eye. And he tells us that he knows us intimately, that he, he knows our inmost parts. And it's a psalm that tells us that a God who sees us and knows us also loves us and accepts us unconditionally. He does not run away, he does not ridicule, there's no reaction of disgust. Instead, he moves toward us with love and acceptance. Now, as you hear the words of this song, and I don't want you to sing, I just want you to listen. As you hear the words of this song, I want you to think about this. If a holy and perfect God can look upon you and see you and know you as you really are, completely naked and exposed as you are, and if he can love you unconditionally, if he can accept you perfectly, if none of that scares him away, then here's what I want you to think about. Could it be possible that there is at least one human being on this planet who can offer you the same? Take in the words of this song.